As a church, we have been journeying through the epistle of James since April of this year. More or less taking it uh, verse by verse, or section by section, and we will continue that today. My theme comes from James chapter 5, verses 7 through to 12, which was read so ably by young Joel. And my theme is weight training. Weight as in W-A-I-T. Weight training. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, in this moment, touch this vessel of clay. Lord, will you use me to bring a word that will encourage, challenge, and change our lives. Speak to every heart individually and specifically, Lord. You know the place where we all are at. You know our journey indeed. May this service serve to bless and point us to you. That our living will glorify you. In Jesus' name. Amen. The epistle of James as we've been going through it over the past few months is a very tough Study if you take time to read it carefully because it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, whether you've been a Christian for a few weeks or for many years, it seems as if when you carefully read the book of James, that James is reading your mail, he's reading your, your Instagram, your Snapchat, whatever you use. And the book of James really is God extending an invitation to us to live a better way. We must always keep that in mind. It's the invitation to live a better way. So James is saying, when you go through trials and tribulations, God is using those things to move you along to live a better way. We should not just be hearers of the word. We must be doers of a word. We must live a better way. James speaks about how we should treat others and a better way to extend mercy to others. He speaks of how we deal with anger, how we control our tongues, a better way of living. All these messages are recorded, by the way, on our website, so you can go right back to the first chapter and first verse of James if you want to go through that study. In chapter 3, verse 2, it says, We all stumble in many things. Even though we're Christians, even though we're on our way to heaven, we all, that means every single one of us, stumble, we fail, we sin, we miss the mark in many ways. And this is, epistle is an invitation to progressive, what we would call progressive sanctification to live a better way in other words for us to choose God's program choose God's way of living as opposed to the way of the world the life that is obedient to God lives an optimal life in Christ 
And this passage we're going to look at today will look at how we will need to exercise patience, how we will need to wait on God. And next week we'll be looking at how we will pursue prayer. So at the start of James 5, verses 1 through to 6, and Reverend Charmaine looked at this last week, James addresses the issue of wealth. Now let's remember that this epistle was written to the diaspora of Jewish believers who were scattered after the stoning of Stephen. They had to run, flee from Jerusalem for their lives because of persecution. And I believe that in James 5, 1 through to 6, speaking of wealth, that although this epistle was written to the believers, I believe verses 1 through to 6 is speaking to unbelievers, and particularly the wealthy unbelievers who were using their wealth to exploit the poor, to control the court system, to influence politics, and generally to get their own way. I have come to this conclusion because if this particular passage was speaking to believers, I believe James would have called them to a place of repentance and confession, but he doesn't do that. In verse 1 of James 5, he says, Weep and howl for the judgment coming upon you. That's very harsh words. So I believe that particular portion of James 5 is speaking to unbelievers who are wealthy, who are exploiting those who are less off. Now James doesn't have a problem with wealth, and neither does God have a problem with wealth. But he's speaking here of how wealth is accumulated and how wealth is used. If the wealthy is taking advantage of and abusing helpless people, and they are crying out to God, God will hear those who cry out to him, and those who oppress the poor will have to give an answer to God. And I would say the application to us is that we need to examine how we are enriching ourselves and whether we are taking advantage of other people. Jesus says that we should store up wealth for eternity where it won't rust, no one can break in and steal it. And I want to remind us today that we are eternal creatures and every one of us will spend eternity somewhere. Can I get an amen? The root of the issue is that temporary things will never satisfy us. The temporary can never fill up the eternal. In fact, sometimes the more we have is the more unhappy we become. You ever taken your son or daughter into a shop to buy an ice cream or sweetie or something? And they're happy about it. And then the question comes, Daddy, more. And Daddy says, no more. (laughs) What happens to that child? They leave the shop more unhappy. 
than before you bought the ice cream. We know the world is forcing on us. They reckon it's 300 adverts a day. Whether that's on your TV screen or pops up on your phone or it's a billboard. The world is telling us you need more. If you want to be somebody, you've got to have this branded item. More temporary things doesn't necessarily make us happy. And thank God for the gospel that corrects this from the root. Because our identity as believers is in Christ. So I'm not defined by the house I live in. I'm not defined by the car I drive. I'm not defined by the shoes I wear. Or whether I have a branding on my t-shirt or not. Does not define me and should not define you. I believe there's a blessedness in deliberately cultivating gratitude and giving thanks for what we have. You'll be happier if you just give God thanks for what you have and stop worrying about what you don't have. Because earthly possessions can enslave us. You know, I try to live an open-handed life. Don't come and ask me for no money after church. But that's what I try to do because I don't want to be enslaved to this world. The scripture says you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. I don't want money to enslave me. So I try to live an open-handed life. So there's nothing wrong with wealth but how we acquire it and how we use that. We need to carefully think about it. So in light of that, the start of this chapter, James then speaks to these Christians who are scattered and who are being oppressed by the unbelieving wealthy. And he says to them in verse 7, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. And he goes on to give them an example. Reading from the scriptures, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So this is James's advice to those who are being oppressed by the wealthy. He says to them, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. He gives the example of the farmer. I mean, what does a farmer do? Basically, a farmer does everything a farmer should do and then waits for the elements to do what the elements are going to do. Would you agree? So the farmer goes out, he tills the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the seed, and then... He waits. The farmer allows forces that he can't control to do whatever they're going to do. He patiently waits for those forces to bless the work he has already done. What can we grasp from this? You know, when you're going through a season and our lives do move in seasons... Sometimes we go through seasons where people basically are taking the mick. 
they're taking advantage of us. Or maybe you're going through a season where things are not quite going the way you would want them to go. What do you do in that season? Well, James' advice is do what you can do. My advice is maybe we should make a list of what's in our control, what's in our domain, and do that list. And then what do we do? After we have done what we can do, we be patient and allow Jesus, who is the Lord of the harvest, to do what we can't do. Because the Lord hears the cry of the oppressed, as it says in verse 4. One of the things we need to understand is that God doesn't operate in our time zone, GMT. So we pray and we want it like instant. Now, resolve it now, Lord. Make a way now. God lives in eternity out of our time mechanism. So when we pray, we have to be patient and give God time to work in our circumstances. Amen. But not only do we have to be patient with God, this scripture exhorts us to be patient with others, with people around us. In verse 9 it says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. Or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. So this is earthing the whole idea of waiting, of being patient. So by the way, that word patience in other parts of the scripture is translated long-suffering. I like to say it this way, long-suffering. means you, sometimes you have to suffer for a long time. But when we're suffering for a long time, we do what we have to do and let God do what he has to do in his time. Not according to our timetable and our schedule, but in his time. So we ought to be patient with God, but we also should be patient with each other. This is earthing our patience, bringing it right down to the grassroots. I found that when I'm impatient with God, I become impatient with people around me. I don't know about you. But patience with God cultivates patience with our brothers and with our sisters. At the end of this particular section in verse 12, James says, above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. In other words, while you're waiting, while you're under oppression, while you're suffering, be a person of your word. When it says that we should not swear by heaven and earth, it's not talking about 
using profane language, although I believe it includes that. But you know, uh, people who do research tell us that on average we lie 25 times a day. Anybody own up to that? <laughs> now that could be an outright lie. Could be half a truth. White lie, black lie. An exaggeration. But they reckon, the people who study these things, 25 times a day, the average human being tells not quite the truth. We need to be the kind of people who say what we mean and mean what we say. And if we say we're going to do something, we should do it. You see, originally, swearing was an attempt to involve the character of God to support a claim or a promise. And you'll find this in Leviticus 19.22 and Deuteronomy 23.23. But as the case is today, the Lord's name is used excessively, flippantly, and associated with trivial matters. When I was at school, if one of my friends or someone was trying to convince me that they were telling the truth, they would say to me, I swear to God. Or, I swear on my mother's deathbed. Or, I swear on a stack of Bibles. And such was the state that the influence of those who were being oppressed... Outside forces and pressures were affecting the believers in their gathering in the church. You know that can happen to us? So some of the problems we experience in the church, in the congregation, is because people have unresolved issues. That's nothing to do with church. They run out of patience and they come and take it out on us in here. We need to be patient with God. We need to be people of our word. I remember this thing from school when uh, people wanted to lie. They used to cross their fingers and put it behind their back. <laughs> All these things are coming back to me. <laughs> As I'm, I don't know if that's still going on in school. People trying to deceive each other, blatantly lying. But we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't make false promises. We should be people of our word. And when you say yes, it means yes. When you say no, it means no. Amen. So even when you're being oppressed, when you're under pressure, we must be people of our word. And just to step back, a few sentences. When we're going through difficult circumstances and challenges, we should do what we can do. Then be patient and let God, the Lord of the harvest, do his work in his time. Cultivate patience with people. And over time, we will discover that God's timing is perfect. And he was working things out all along our journey. I want to remind us that there is a day of judgment 
coming. Acts 17:30 and 31 reads, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And prove to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. You know, that's why I don't worry when people put the knife in the back and criticize, try and pull me down. Because, you know, this life's going to end for all of us. There is life beyond the grave and there's going to be a day of judgment. And I keep saying, nobody is getting away with anything. Nobody. So you can plan people's downfall. Dig pits for people to fall into in the dark. And in secret you grin and smile about it. You're not going to get away with it. Even if you get away with it in this life. You're going to have to stand before the almighty God. And when he asks you, there'll be no crossing your fingers behind your back. Because he knows your beginning, he knows your end. He knows your thoughts, he knows your heart, he's seen every action. In fact, he's listened to every idle word that has been spoken. So if you're going through it, Virgin, what I'm encouraging you, don't worry yourself. Justice will be served one day. You don't have to take revenge. Because God is a just judge. Verse 10, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider them blessed, those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So James now moves to point our attention to those that we call blessed, the prophets of old. Let's look at them briefly. I've got a list here. Jeremiah faithfully preached God's word for 40 years without one convert. That's what I call patience. Noah patiently built the ark over many years. He also patiently floated in the ark for a full year with no idea what the future would hold. Abraham patiently waited until he was almost 100 before he had the promised heir. Moses patiently endured the complaints of the Israelites time and time again. David patiently waited on God's timing as Saul chased him around the country to kill him. Elijah had to flee Jezebel when there was a call come out to kill him 
Elisha was also threatened with death. Zechariah was executed by the king because he continued to confront the people of Judah for disregarding God's word. Daniel was put in the lion's den because he continued to pray. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace because they would not bow before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Paul was beaten and left for dead and arrested many times. Most of the disciples, as we know, died by martyrdom. When we preach, when we teach, we call these prophets blessed. But they suffered. Who are we to say that we in this life also will not suffer? We will. It's a part of life. And James particularly spotlights Job. Job was someone who lived an upright life. He tried to honor the Lord in everything he did, yet Satan afflicted him harshly. Job did not understand why he lost his crops, his animals, his children, and even his health. But through it all, we are told that Job did not sin against God with his mouth. James lifts up these examples of the prophets, in particular Job, because he knew that the readers of his letter knew Job's story. And they knew that even though Job suffered so much loss, in the end, God gave him back double for his trouble, as one preacher says. So in other words, what James is saying is that we are serving a God who has a track record. He's not an unjust God. So when we suffer, God hears our cry and he will serve out the appropriate justice. Let me remind you what Romans 8 verse 17 to 19 says. It says, and since we are his children, God's children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. I want to close by saying, if you're here and you are under oppression, you're in a long-standing situation of suffering, whatever form that may take. It just appears that things are not going right for you. I want to exhort you to take this word today. Do what you can do. Make sure that you're doing what you can do. What do you do after that? Be patient with God. Be patient with people around you. Don't grumble. Be a person of your word. 
And then wait on the Lord of the harvest. Who has a perfect track record. Who in the end. Whether it's in this life or in eternity. Promises to produce precious fruit. From our lives. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your word and ask that as it has entered into our hearts, it will produce what you have designed it to do today. In every heart, in every circumstance, Lord. Thank you that we understand from the scripture, Lord, that we are to be patient and help us to do the things that we know we ought to be doing. Be patient with those around us, not grumbling, speaking the truth and allowing you to work out our challenges in your time. I know, Lord, you are working in my life. You're working in our lives. Sometimes it seems as if nothing is happening seems as if the heavens are shut up and there's silence. But we are reassured today that you are a God of an excellent and perfect track record. And we know that in the background, whether we can feel or sense or have any inclination that anything's going on, you are orchestrating our lives and circumstances in a way that will give your name glory. And for this we give you thanks today. In Jesus' name. Amen.